0: netcasts you love
1: from people you trust
0: this is Tweet. audio bandwidth for security now is provided by the new winamp for android featuring wireless sync and one-click itunes import now with free daily music downloads and full-length cd listening parties download it for free at winamp.com android Video bandwidth for Security Now is provided by CashFly at dot com. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, Episode 307, recorded June 29, 2011, The Future of Identity. Security Now is brought to you by... MailRoute. MailRoute is a secure hosted service that filters viruses and spam for companies of any size. Try it right now at MailRoute.info and save ten percent off the life of your account. And by Netflix.com, watch thousands of TV episodes and movies on your PC, Mac, iPad, phone, or TV instantly. All streamed directly to you, saving you time, money, and hassle. For your free thirty-day trial, go to Netflix.com/twit. It's time for Security Now, the show that protects your security and privacy online. And here he is, the man with the plan, the guy behind the scenes, the man who knows security. <laughs> Shares it all with you. The inventor of the acronym P, Mr. <laughs> Mister Steve Gibson. Pre- Egress encryption, and we've had it fixed now. It's been revised to Pi, Pi. as in
1: Pi in the sky.
0: Yes, pre-internet Internet. encryption. Hey, Steve, so that Howard.
1: regular mortals
0: can remember what the acronym <laughs> no stands. No P, for. have Pi instead. Yeah, and P was always—I was a <laughs> tripping over that little bit too. So. There's actually a company uh, that is uh, a third party that is promising Pi. I think maybe did we talk about it last week? Pi for Dropbox now, which is great. Yes, we did talk about we did talk it last about that. week. That's probably yep. where I heard it. And there's a, there are a number of other. Dropbox
1: competitors that purport to do a better job, and and I've got that on my list of of
0: I alternative to, solutions. I switched to Walla. That's one of the ones that's top of the list. As a matter of fact, you won't voila. like one thing about Walla. It's Java Uh-oh. based.
1: Oh well, no one's perfect, you no. Know, but I mean, they had to run. You had to run something, probably at your end, and so that's why
0: it's cross-platform. You better know,
1: it was, Java than JavaScript, was, I would argue. Yes. So
0: yeah, and yeah. Uh, and I think Walla does quite a good job. The thing I well, I'll let you review it, but the th- and I'm very curious to hear if their model is uh, good. But the thing that's I liked is uh, for free. If you donate, it's peer-to-peer. So if you donate some hard drive space, which I have done. Uh, then you get it back. So I have 463 gigs of cloud storage for free from Walla, which I really like. So but we'll we'll talk we'll talk about that. And now
1: that's actually not so much cloud storage as somebody
0: else's dirt storage, right? I mean, it's if, if you're donating it's your hard drive space, dirt storage. This is what's interesting right. about it. Right. So in order for, for, so that's why it's so important that they have pre-internet encryption because bits of your data are strewn oh, yes, across maybe. the internet. <laughs> uh, however, they have a very, and I'm curious about. I really can't wait to hear about this because they have a very what I, what looks like a clever algorithm for redundancy. So if I take my hard drive offline, it doesn't kill my, you know, my that's that short's clearly something will be necessary. Key. Yeah, uh, and uh, by donating 400. I think it was 400 gigs. I'm just making it available to them. I've got it back, so it's cloud storage, but not on my dirt drive. Somebody else's dirt drive. It's an interesting model. I, I cannot wait to hear you review it. Let's see. Yeah, the math them. the math doesn't quite work. If you if you get back the same amount that you give,
1: then I'm wondering how they're incorporating redundancy into the model. Because well, maybe it's not the same to have, amount.
0: I can't remember okay. what the deal is. And anyway, they I'll, they vet your okay. uptime, so you don't get the full amount right away. It slowly increments. I finally built up to it because they're checking: Are you up all the time? So that you know, right. so, you know that's are you a useful to... provider of right. of dirt drive? <laughs> so I keep my dirt drive uh, on my desktop on all the time, anyway, at home, right. and it's a you know, it's got a, it's got terabytes of storage. So giving them four hundred gigs. <laughs> nothing and i get the benefit because i have this now voila on all my systems and i can store a ton of material but anyway but that's a that's a conversation for another time Mm. what i see i'm i'm looking at the lower third here and i see somebody has written me the future of identity what are we talking about uh, this week we're going to talk about the future of identity um you're not coincidentally uh i
1: mentioned the acronym that sort of sort of got me thinking about this a week or two ago. And that's a – it's an acronym that the National Institute of Standards came up with. Uh, And it's something that the executive branch of the U.S. government has been working on for some time. They finally – and I've been sort of keeping an eye on it to see what it was going to be because it's it's got a little bit of an Orwellian concern, except that from the documentation that they've put together, it's very clear – that this that it is isn't going to take is isn't going to go in that direction. But I want to talk about we're going to talk about the future of identity. That is the whole issue of identity on in cyberspace. This acronym is NSTIC, the National Strategy uh, for Trusted Identities in Cyberspace.
0: Now, as you say, this makes me nervous because what I don't want is a national identity card or something like that. Precisely.
1: And this, in fact, specifically uses those words. This is not a national identity card. And, in fact, it's not even the U.S. governments. There's been work which we're going to – I'm going to run through the history dating back a decade where a consortium of about thirty organizations originally got together and began working on this, and we've we've touched on aspects of this. Open ID is part of it. OAuth. We did a, we did we did a podcast on OAuth where we explained how it's possible for you to to authorize one site that has information about you to go go to another site or, or or to make it available to not, mm-hmm. to another site with proper security and so forth so so we're beginning to see sort of the amalgamation and the condensation of a number of different Sort of small, stratified, individual concepts into a coherent whole. Um, the government's role is really to try to establish some some standards to assure interoperability among these. Um, and probably, I mean, one one of the things that they're able to do, for example, is to require that all their contractors abide by the following technology that the contractors vendors do so you know and i mean the government obviously is a huge purchasing body and so if it were able to get behind a a coherent strategy that would really help bootstrapping it and 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 tend to prevent fragmentation. What what we really want is interoperability. So anyway, we'll talk about all that. And we've got, of course, news
0: and security updates and all the regular stuff, too. Oh, it's a
1: cool errata this time.
0: (laughs) I can't (laughs) wait. You know, I have to say, it's gotten now to the point, and I bet I'm not alone on this, with Walla or this national identity thing or whatever they call it, the Internet identity, that until I hear Steve Gibson's take on it, I don't trust anything. Hmm. But once I hear you vet it, and this is what I love about this show, then I feel some confidence. Uh, LastPass, very good ex- example. I love LastPass and used it, but what, but I really didn't have full confidence until I heard your dissection of it. So we really count on you for this kind of thing, Steve. Thank well, you. It's about the technology, and that's really our that's what we do here is technology. Yeah, and it's a huge service, I think, to the uh, Internet community to have somebody who um, uh, you know, is techni- super technically savvy kind of spell it out for those of us who are... A little less so, shall we say? Well, you just don't have time to go there. I'll, you know, I'll do that for you. <laughs> well, that's all to me. That's what open source is about, and why I trust open source encryption. It's not because I can read the code and make sense of it. It's because uh, somebody, presumably, somebody can and will, uh, and 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 determine if it's if it's good or not. Anyway, let's uh, let's take a break. We're going to come back. Steve Gitz in the future of identity and Cool Errata. In a moment, but <laughs> whatever that is. But first, I want to talk about our great sponsor, Netflix. You've all become Netflix members. Even Steve has finally become a Netflix member. And I want to tell you, if you're not, what you need to do right now about this. You need to go to Netflix.com twit and try it for free for 30 days And you'll see what I mean. Now forget, I'm not even going to talk about the DVD by mail on as little as one business day. You all know about that. That's cool. Old school. It's old school. Exactly. This is what's really cool. Now, Steve discovered how cool it is on your iPad. Mm-hmm. Netflix on your iPad, your iPhone, some Android phones. Of course, your big screen TV, too. Netflix uh, uh, Netflix works on, uh, on many TVs these days, internet-connected TVs, many Blu-rays, uh, but also your PS3, your Xbox 360, your Nintendo Wii um playstation did i say playstation 3 all of the uh, roku box that's how i do it i have a roku box in living room and the bedroom so i can watch netflix streaming there and as as you said on your ipad and everywhere else now there are thousands of movies new movies all the time which is great fun classics oldies goodies uh, documentaries tv shows too Mad Men is coming all uh, I think all three seasons of Matt. Oh, Spinal Tap. See now, here's an example. I don't own the Spinal Tap DVD. I wish I did, but I'm kind of glad I didn't because I can watch it any time. You can see five stars for Spinal Tap, and you know that's one of those shows where every once in a while you go, it goes to eleven, and you just want to see it again. Uh, in fact, if you look at this is the list of movies I've already watched. These are these are the movies I love. Two thousand one, uh, Possession. Um, oh. Gene Hackman in The Conversation, one of Francis Ford Coppola's first movies. These are great movies, and the, the idea that I can watch them anytime means I will never be bored at home alone at night. Toy Story 3, Lord of the Rings, I mean, it's unlimited. There's also um, guilty pleasures like Paul Therott and Hudson Hawk. See, I don't want to rent Hunts and Hawk. I don't want want to even get the DVD because I know I'm going to hate it. But I can watch it. It, What's the investment? It takes a second to start it. If I hate it, I stop and I watch something else. I just love it. If you're not a member, try it. I know you all are. So here's what I want to ask you to do on behalf of uh, Steve and security now. This is how you support us. Tell a friend, netflix.com slash twit. I know there's a friend of yours that you can't believe they're not yet a Netflix member. Just tell them, 30 days free, netflix.com slash twit. They'll love it. If if they're really good friends or maybe a family member, you can even buy them a gift certificate after the 30-day trial. But please, help us out. Help Steve out, netflix.com slash twit. We thank you for your support. Netflix and we love you. Keep up the good work. All right. I am ready to begin uh, this uh, episode. We uh, start as usual with Steve Gibson with uh, security updates.
1: Yeah, we don't have much in the way of updates. Um, I mean, you know, Mac is updating and I think there's a big Java update. Yeah, there's a bunch of Mac updates. Yeah, I think 10, sort of six, go,
0: 8 or something. Yeah.
1: Yep. Yeah, just go do that. Um, I did get some tweets from people wondering why Microsoft was updating them off cycle. And uh, we had mentioned before that Microsoft does non-security patches on alternative Tuesdays to the big mega monthly second Tuesday of the month patch. And three little just – I mean these are classic bug fixy things. There was a problem with um, some – some networks that were fragmenting large SSL packets and Microsoft was not able to reassemble fragmented SSL packets. So one fix that they issued yesterday, Tuesday, um fixes that so that they're now able to reassemble fragmented SSL packets. There was apparently some fuzzy fonts under IE9, so they they fixed that and then they uh, uh, they also added something called o f v office file validation for the office suites two thousand three two thousand seven and twenty ten so those three things were part of what happened last tuesday not security things just you know fixing sort of debris bugs and things in windows which they have to do from time to time the only interesting piece of well, we have got a tax and breaches section which is separate i was gonna say the only interesting piece of security news um, that is not attacks and breaches was a little blurb that I picked up that I thought I would share with our listeners because it made me sort of breathe a sigh of relief. And that was Mozilla's announcement that Firefox will be getting native Adobe free PDF rendering.
0: Yay. Yes. Actually, everybody's going to have that. Microsoft said Windows 8 will have it, too. I mean, this is, you know, we're going to be able to get rid of Adobe pretty soon.
1: Yep. And, you know, sorry about that, Adobe, but you brought it on yourself. <laughs> yeah, so, no so they posted, we intend to use PDF.js to render PDFs natively within Firefox itself. JavaScript. JavaScript. Interesting. Yeah. Our most immediate goal is to implement the most commonly used PDF features so we can render a large majority of the PDFs found on the web. We believe we can reach that point in less than three months. The entire code so far is less than one month old and it already renders a large set of PDF features. Initially, we'll make a Firefox extension available to interested users that enables inline PDF rendering using PDF.js. But our ultimate goal is, of course, shipping PDF.js with Firefox. This will result in a substantial usability but also security improvement for our users. PDF.js uses only safe, Web languages and doesn't contain any native code pieces attackers could exploit, so that's a that'll be a nice step forward for is, for is JavaScript uh,
0: inherently open source? I guess there's ways you could obfuscate javascript but but for the most part, unless you actively try to do that, you can always see what the code is right
1: Oh absolutely. The browser needs to be able to interpret it there's no notion of compiling it. There are many obfuscators. Uh, of JavaScript, uh, and all, basically they sort of just do a compression, right. and then they tack on to the front of this blob the de- the uh, the JavaScript decompressor, and so essentially the browser just runs the javascript and it does sort of an in-place decompression but but similarly you could easily in fact there are there are pages on the net where you can put in obfuscated javascript and it just decompresses
0: it for you by the nature of it it's just like the uh, css code because your browser has to be able to read it in plain text so can you exactly yeah yeah so So, that's good i mean that's good news it means if their pdf implementation is is buggy or whatever we can at least see it and maybe fix it and we can know that it works all right which well we can't and do with Adobe it stuff. is the i
1: mean Adobe is suffering from well on one hand their their own success because you know as we know the PDF evolved from Postscript, which was their original creation back in the early days uh Apple licensed the Postscript interpreter remember for the first mm-hmm. laser mm-hmm. uh laser jet was it laser jet or laser printer oh, printer laser, printer, laser no, writer. No, Apple apple writer Apple writer was,
0: yep yeah. yeah something like that uh, laser
1: writer. Uh, la- Laser Writer. The Apple yeah. Writer w- was
0: their inkjet printer. Yeah, the, No, the, the it wasn't laser. even inkjet. That no was kidding? The- oh, goodness. <laughs> I had one. <laughs> Tractor feed, baby. Apple Writer. <laughs> Apple Writer. There we had, and, but it did graphics, which blew it everyone did. away at the it time. Did. That's right. So, yeah. Anyway. Well, that's um, a mistake Adobe didn't make with Flash Note. Uh-huh. <laughs> you can't you can't uh, implement Flash without Adobe code and Adobe license, but you can implement a PDF without an Adobe. Uh, yeah. I don't know if well, there's a license. At some or... point,
1: it behooved them to make it, you know, to put it into the public domain to make the the, right. the format more Universal. widely available. Yeah. So so that they were able to gain more traction. Right. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. they've just been bitten by all the security problems of their old code. So. Um Lulz Security, the company we've been referring to many times recently because they've just been so actively hacking, announced that they were disbanding. And so there was some speculation on the net about whether this was because the heat really had been turned up on them legally. Uh, someone suspected of being a Lulz Sec member was arrested, I think, in the U.K. Yep. And so they formally said goodbye on June 26th. But in the process, they released three-quarter of a million <laughs> newly hacked email addresses, passwords, and clear text uh, obtained from various sources. Now, uh, much as there was shouldichangemypassword.com we talked about last week, the, the fun site that has aggregated a lot of this, there, is, there isn't as, as nice a URL, unfortunately, but at dazzlepod.com, slash lulz sec slash final. So that's D A Z Z L E P O D dot com slash L U L Z S E C slash F I N A L is another aggregator that has a I think the last time I saw it was at 400,000 and growing. They're going to be putting it all in. In this case, instead of putting your password in, you put in your email address and they and they're obscuring the clear the, the the plain text password. So so they they allow you to do a quick index on your email address to see whether your email address is among these hundreds of thousands of of account databases that have been compromised and stolen. So I wanted to give our listeners a tip
0: about that. They just wanted you to say DazzlePod. DazzlePod.
1: And, <laughs> and uh, also, Luz, LulzSec made the news last week prior to disbanding um, by posting 446.6 meg of known-to-be-authentic Arizona State Department of Public Safety documents, yeah. which which they stuck up on the Pirate Bay. Uh, a spokesman, Captain Steve Harrison of the Arizona Department of Public Safety, confirmed that the agency's systems were hacked and these documents were legitimate. Then um, the LulzSec guys said, we're releasing hundreds of private intelligence bulletins, training manuals. Personal email correspondence, names, phone numbers, addresses, and passwords belonging to Arizona law enforcement. We're targeting the um, AZDPS, which is the Arizona Department of Public Safety, specifically because we are against SB 1070 and the racial profiling anti-immigrant policy – immigrant police state that, that is Arizona. And that that SB ten seventy they refer to um, is the is the um, measure that passed recently, making it a crime to be in Arizona without documentation proving United States residency. So those guys are are being a little bit politically activist and uh, and slapping Arizona as a consequence. So, uh, but apparently, if if we're to believe what's been said, and apparently it's been confirmed. Um the, the LulzSec Lulz has disbanded and they're going to go in It's so separate. weird. It is. <laughs> it's just so strange. <laughs> the whole thing is strange. Yeah, yeah, I expect a is. movie. <laughs> and point. finally we, we we talked last week about the City Group attack where City had uh 360,000 Credit card numbers and other information uh, had been lost, compromised in an online breach. The news came out since then um, that um, Citigroup was it would that this attack was going to cost Citigroup two point seven million dollars. They confirmed to u s government wow. officials um, earlier this week, according to Citigroup personal information and card numbers from approximately 3,400 cardholders, so 3,400 out of that 360,000, so personal information and card numbers from approximately 3,400 cardholders was subsequently used to make about $2.7 million in unauthorized purchases. And Citigroup stated that affected customers would be reimbursed for the fraudulent charges. So, so the so the point is that the information was stolen it was immediately used in 3400 different account cases to purchase stuff and as we know credit card companies hold their their cardholders harmless for for this kind of 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 information theft um, even if it's not their fault you know if it just somehow gets loose from some other website I mean I've had to change my card number a number of times as a consequence
0: um and so in this case it's costing them two point seven million dollars. That's actually probably not that much compared to some of the other losses that they've suffered yeah. in other day in other times. That's yeah. chicken feed from their point of view. Um a uh from the
1: Twitterverse, um AlienCG was the the person who tweeted me. I don't know his real name, but he said um he he reminded me that you can add a label to the end of your username in Gmail. So you could say, for example, username, then the plus sign, and whatever you want to after that, before at gmail.com. And he said, could this help add some security to a logon? And, and I, I thanked him for that, and, and I told him that I would mention it to our, our listeners because I had mentioned last week that it's difficult for users to easily create ad hoc email addresses Um, And this does allow that. At the same time, it exposes your primary email account name. So it's not quite the same, but it would allow you, for example, to do, you know, username plus AOL, username plus Yahoo and and, and so forth. And if you started getting spam or unwanted stuff, you could simply cancel that or route it into the um, the trash reliably um, as, as some way of sort of segregating incoming email. So I thought that was a good tip. And then John Nassar's uh, Naz on on Twitter. He was the first person to notify me of a free new Peter F. Hamilton Kindle book. Damn, which is I'm just finishing the void. <laughs> uh, well, believe me. <laughs> which by the way thing, is a long could, book. <laughs> you could do this for dessert. This is
0: very it, it is a short, a short story. Good. Oh good. Okay.
1: And um and so uh, I'm it, and the title is If at First, you know, and of course that that's as in if at first you don't succeed, which sort of is the nature of the story. Um uh, reading from the description, it says Peter F. Hamilton has proven himself a modern master of epic space opera, carrying the tradition of far future empire building begun by Heinlein and Asimov into the new millennium. But Hamilton is also a master of the short story, and when he well, although we haven't seen, we haven't seen many of those, it says, and when he tackles one of science fiction's most enduring themes, time travel, the result is as provocative as it is entertaining. Mm. It starts in 2007 with a break-in. The victim, Marcus Orthu, the financial and technological genius behind Orthonics, the computer company whose radical products have delivered a one-two punch to the industry, hmm. all but knocking PCs and Macs out of the ring. Ooh. The perpetrator, a man <laughs> obsessed with Orthu, just another simple case of celebrity stalking, or so everyone assumes at first, including Metropolitan Police Detective Dan Lanson. But then Lanson interviews the suspect – And the suspect makes a startling claim. Orthu is from the future. Uh, Or rather, ah. a future, a parallel timeline. Hmm. Thus begins the ride of a lifetime for Lanson as his pursuit of the facts tumbles him headlong down a rabbit hole. And the hunter finds himself hunted. I can't wait. Well, so I grabbed it. And I read it in,
0: like, an hour. It took I mean, longer to read the synopsis. <laughs> it,
1: it did. Um, fun story. I can't wait. But then I realized why Peter had done this. Uh-oh.
0: Is he setting it, up another trilogy? Well,
1: um, what's going to happen is th- that was to get you into yeah. discovering right. that his very first books are about to be made available his very first books, that's where I started reading him in 93. Um, he, um, he did something called Mindstar Rising, which with a character called Greg Mandel, who, who was, who had some sort of an organ that secreted stuff in his brain <laughs> and he could like squeeze it and it would
0: like juice him. And um, anyway, there, thing, it's a very interesting mix of Hard sci-fi, really good hard sci-fi with basically just great emotional writing. I mean, it's it's an unusual combination in sci-fi, I have to say. Well, of course, the Night's Dawn trilogy is where most people
1: discovered Peter because that became so famous. Yeah, but I think wrote, the Void trilogy is his best work. No I th- kidding. I, I've got it and I haven't started it Oh, yet. you haven't
0: read it? No. You know, it, it may turn you off because there is a large fantasy component. But it but it fits in very well, but it but it has some kind of sword and sorcerers type stuff in it that some people some sci-fi people just say, I'm not gonna do that.
1: Yeah, that would be hard for me, although I
0: understand it has our characters from It does Ozzy Ozzy and, 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 and company are back. That sucks me in, I think. And, and I think that the overall sci-fi premise I don't think you'll have a problem with it, the fantasy okay. part. In fact, you'll love it. And I, I have to think that this, that, uh, that, I believe that Dreaming Void, uh, Evolutionary Void, uh, I can't remember what the three titles are, but the Void trilogy is absolutely. <laughs> the is, Void is finally over, Is probably the third one. It's finally over. No, I, I have, I'm in the third book. The, the, I'm almost, I have about, only, I uh, only have about 16 hours left. It's a 75 hour book, audio book. But, um, I have to think it is his best writing. It's his best development. He's done a wow. wonderful, wonderful job.
1: Well, I was really sorry that those first three books there's Mind Star Rising, A Quantum Murder, yeah. and The Nanoflower, wow. which he wrote in 93 and 94, 95, respectively. They've been out of print ever since. Anyway, the Mandel files. Is right. repackaging them, and it'll be it'll be released um, on August 23rd. It's available for pre-order from Amazon. So I just want to let our users, our, our users, our listeners know uh, if there's anyone who is as much of a of a Peter F. Hamilton fanatic as you and I are, Leo. There, these these are oh, and these are short. These are standard, regular paperback size. <laughs> they're not major projects, but he develops a really interesting character with lots of fun, and I can't wait to read them again.
0: So. Will be able to before long. So you have read them before?
1: Yes, I read them back then in 93, 94. Wow. And that was my introduction to Peter F. Hamilton. Oh, so- okay. When Night's Dawn Trilogy came along, it's like, oh, and then I was a little freaked out by, you know, kind of what direction that <laughs>
0: trilogy took. That was a little was, weird. And uh, yeah. Pandora, I like Pandora's Star. I, the Fallen, Fallen Dragon is a great one. If, it, if nobody's read any of his stuff to read uh, the first uh, Hamilton. Yes,
1: that, that's what I recommend. It's to a get single volume.
0: Yeah. And it's and it's easier to get into than the trilogies. But boy, is he a great writer. And um, I've become a big fan. I think he's an underappreciated writer. to be. What is that you got there?
1: Well, this is – I was going to mention. This is in my miscellaneous. I just of, got that book. It one just of came several. out. Um, well, the, okay. This is – I wanted to let our listeners know, anyone who is is messing with JavaScript, as I now am, volume five is what I learned on right. a couple of months ago, which is um, – for people who have video, you can see it on – what that would be your left right uh <laughs> the and skinny one the skinny one <laughs> relatively now, I was we would annoyed. never have thought it was skinny a couple of years ago <laughs> no i was annoyed that its copyright was 06 right because that makes it five years old well or yeah five years old and um you know that's an eternity in web time and i felt the age of it you know it was talking about I, older IE versions, like IE six, and 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 didn't know about Netscape or uh, Firefox four, and so forth. Well, anyway, just last week, um, the author uh, David Flanagan, who is pretty much O'Reilly's JavaScript guy, finished a year long project, which was a massive rewrite of the his original JavaScript the definitive guide which is the book and now we have a book with an uh, with a 2011 copyright yep. and I'm happy again actually I'm going to reread the, this entire new one yep. because it's I was about to reread um the the older one just because I've been now programming in JavaScript for a couple months and I thought okay now's time to
0: reread it and under, yeah with, yes with,
1: with an appreciation
0: right. for, I you know I'll get so much second more player. out of the second reading. Yeah. Yes, because I have the fourth edition, and but I just got the I got David's new one because I was at O'Reilly for a food camp, and they gave us the new one. And the funny thing is, there's another book. It's I think a good companion volume called JavaScript: The Good Parts. Oh, I have that too. Yeah. So the JavaScript: The Definitive Guide is this thick. JavaScript: The Good Parts is about that thick. <laughs>
1: yeah, that sort of tells you about how much is not
0: good. You need both, let me tell you. (laughs) Now, I think JavaScript's a very interesting language, and because it is rapidly becoming uh, the de facto standard for not just web apps, but for mobile apps, uh, you know, with things like uh, WebOS and the new Windows uh, Phone 7, and um, and even on Apple.
1: and Windows 8 is going to be supporting JavaScript yeah. as its application development platform yeah. natively as well. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it was just it was overdue for me to learn it. I had to, you know, I, I've, I've been, I have been recently doing, as we know, client side things like the password haystacks is all JavaScript, and yeah. and I've got what uh, it has turned out that I think I have. I, I still have to be careful with over. uh Stating what I think I have, but in a couple of weeks I'll be introducing our listeners to something extremely cool yep. that it looks like it's gonna it's gonna survive its uh, um, its testing. Um, I discovered an app which I had to tell our listeners about because we all have friends who who are proud of their five or more megapixel cameras and who send us unresized photos. It drives me nuts. I'll like check mail, and it's some
0: some ten meg thing. Is like, remember when mailboxes used to be ten megs? Yes, <laughs> it's you like, couldn't have more than ten megs. What in the
1: world is coming in? And then all I, I, when I open my email, all I see is some person's armpit because the picture is so huge. You <laughs> and I think, what is this armpit? <laughs>
0: I don't know. What, I don't know what kind of pictures you're getting. <laughs> no, not. I know make what you mean. And you, have and you have to scroll, and you have to scroll, and you have to scroll, and you have to scroll. I agree with you. Resize, okay, there, folks. It's okay.
1: There is something that solves this, and it is very cool. It's called it, it's Robosizer.com. Mm. Go go to the URL, Leo. Robosizer.com. Okay. Typing it in. And this is well. First of all, it makes resizing instant for. We who know how to do it. I mean, for example, right now I'll have to, you know, I'll fire up, you know, Photo Paint or Paint Shop Pro or something and resize manually. This makes it much faster. But what's cool about it is that, and this is why we want to recommend it to our friends. I mean, I'm, I'm gonna say, mom, um, you know, <laughs> those friends. <laughs> you, you, you put this in, and it hooks the OS oh. across all these applications. So you don't have to run an app. It's transparent, oh that's nice. You simply when you attach when you upload things to the web, you upload photos to the web, you attach photos to email to to send them, uh, it supports social networking mm. uh, all the web browsers, all of the um, uh, instant messaging clients, so basically, it just takes responsibility for in the background, transparently resizing photos. And um, it's shareware, I think, for a month, and then twenty four ninety five. So it's not free, but um, I, I just wanted to let everyone know about it because I'm sending it to my friends. I've got one one buddy in particular who just he loves his camera, but he's like, oh, look at this, you know. Yeah. And I see yeah. weeds. It's like, wait a minute. And then I, I <laughs> to, it's like, oh my god, because you know I'm using Eudora still, and I can't, it won't resize instantly right. for me. So. Right. It's annoying. Great, RoboSizer.com. That's great. Through with armpits for a while. Yeah. Win, windows only, of course. Uh, uh, yes, it is Windows only. Um, and then I, this, I've had this note for, well, you'll see from the from the nature nature of the note for how long. And I just thought I I would share it today. Uh, this is from someone named Ryan uh, Ryan McCain actually, who wrote to me years ago. He said, "I live in Louisiana." And during Katrina, all of my computer equipment got wiped out. I've been able to get my laptop, to get my laptop, and as you can imagine, it wouldn't boot up. I downloaded Spinrite illegally, not thinking it would do anything. But wow, it did its thing for a few hours, fixed or marked a ton of errors, and my laptop can now boot. I had so many personal photos, documents, etc. on that laptop, so Spinrite had been a blessing. Or ha- has has been a blessing. Here's the catch: I lost nearly everything in Katrina, including my house, one of my kids, oh no, pets, job, etc. Oh, dear. I I mean everything. He put in all caps. Oh, he said I'm an honest person, so I want to pay for your software. However. I can't afford to pay it all at once at the moment. And I'm thinking, no kidding. No kidding, yeah. He says, one day you're skating through life with a great family, Mm -hmm. a nine-to-five job in IT. The next day you're trying to muster up enough strength just to get through the day. As you can imagine, money is very tight as we continue to recover from this nightmare. I'm not wanting your sympathy. I'm simply explaining my situation. I can give you $10 per month until the price of the product is paid off. I know that sounds absurd and I'm embarrassed to even ask that of you. However, I'm trying to keep my wife and kid fed and things are really tight around here. Hell, I never thought I would be one of those people who went to the library to get on the internet. That will give you an idea of how things are down here, not just for me, but for thousands of people in the Gulf Coast. I appreciate any leeway you can give me here. Well, of course, I wrote. Oh, immediately yeah, I have a I feeling said, I know what you said. You owe me nothing yeah. for your use of SpinRight. Oh, my I said, goodness. I'm very glad that it was able to help you post Katrina. And the last thing I in caps I want from you is eighty nine dollars that you don't have. No, kidding. the most expensive yeah. aspect of your having used a pirated copy is the time I'm taking here to reply to you, which I'm glad to do. So please, you have the best wishes of all of us here at GRC, and you owe us nothing whatsoever. Peace wow. and a hang in there. Wow. So he wrote back. He said, Steve, that's very generous of you. Thank you very much. Well, <laughs> he says, my only priority at the time was saving as much information off of that laptop as possible, no matter how many laws I had to break. Ninety percent of the videos, pictures, etc., I had of my kid who passed away
0: during Katrina, were on that laptop. Oh, my God. I'm just uh, devastated.
1: So it was much more than just a few songs and funny videos that I was trying to restore. Thanks to Spinrite, I was able to recover every one of his pictures and videos. Feel free to read this email on the Security Now podcast as a testament to just how great Spinrite is. Thank you for your kind wishes, not only for my family, but for everyone who's still getting their lives back together in the Gulf. Ryan. So I don't know what to say? That's wow. very neat. Yeah, Ryan, our thoughts and prayers are with you. Uh, wow. Thank and presumably, since that was a while ago, he's pulled his life back together. Of course, he can't. Yeah. Nothing can replace. Never, I can't
0: spin right. His his lost son. No, so. you never recover yeah. from that. That's terrible. Oh my God. Um. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Let's give you a buffer before we get into the future of identity. How about that? And I'll just uh, briefly mention mail route, and then we'll and we'll continue on with the show. I don't know what to say, but Ryan, um, wow, our thoughts are with you. And yeah, uh, as a father, I I, I can um, I can only imagine. Uh, I do want to mention if you folks are uh, uh, running your own mail servers. I know a lot of you are because that's because the kind of people who listen to Security Now the sophisticates. Running their own mail servers, maybe you even—I suspect a lot of you even—run mail servers for companies, schools, uh, nonprofits. You're you're the person on the line there. Spam is an issue. Now, if you're using Gmail, you're using Yahoo Mail, you don't have to worry about spam; they handle it. But if you're running your own servers, spam is huge. I'll give you an idea. Uh, I get uh, this is surprisingly good numbers. I got these numbers from Tom Johnson, who runs Mail Route. Um it's, it seems like a round number, but it's a little round, but it's pretty close. One million, in the last 12 months, one million messages came to my leoville.com addresses. Now, that's me, but I my, all my kids, my 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 wife, many family members, uh, many uh, uh, friends have Leoville addresses. I kind of host their mail for them. And uh, of those million addresses, get this, 970,000, 97% were spam. 97 because this this address has been there for a long time. In fact, uh, people, leoville.com has been around so long that people, I, we get, one of the things Tom does, which is great, I could say what the actual addresses are, the, the real addresses, and anything else gets rejected. I was looking at the report. I was getting, I get like thousands of emails a, a year to Leo's hair at leoville.com. Somebody thought that'd be funny to sign me up for something with Leo's hair. So we, <laughs> I don't see those. Uh, I get them in the report. They're in the spam store at mailroute.info, But I don't have to worry about them. And that's the beauty of this. That means 90% of the 70% of the traffic that would come to my server doesn't even hit my server. It, it doesn't even go near my server. That's just a lot of money saved, a, a lot of traffic saved. And then those 30,000 messages I can deal with, you know, and, and some spam gets through because one of the things MailRoute does is very good. They're very, very effective at spam, but they're also very, very low false positives. They, wanna, they don't want to block anything that you might want. So occasionally some spam that looks very real gets through. That's easy to deal with. But my mail is essentially spam free. It's amazing. It's amazing. I want you to try it. You can do it absolutely free uh to actually is that true do they have a trial i'm sure he does why don't you here's what you do go to mailroute.info. small business accounts two dollars per user per month for 10 users uh it's less as you have more users MailRoute doesn't normally do individual uh filtering but because so many people in the twit army have asked for it thirty dollars per user per year for single users so this might be something you want to try Uh, And, of course, 10% off for life, for the life of your account when you visit MailRoute.info. This is the anti-spam solution you've been looking for. I've been using it since 2004, and it's a lifesaver. MailRoute, I'm not going to say what Dvorak says. I get no spam. I get precious little spam, however. (laughs) Enough, 97% of my mail would be spam if it weren't for MailRoute. And when I misconfigured my server... And MailRoute wasn't. I knew it, boy. Oh, boy, did I know it. It's like, what is this stuff? This is all the stuff I haven't been getting. MailRoute.info. we thank Tom and uh, all the gang down there for their support of Security Now and all of our shows. All right, Steve. Let's see what the feds are up to now with this identity thing.
1: Okay, so this is, in my
0: opinion, probably
1: the most important thing going on that is Internet-wide for virtually all of us, and that is the the problem that we tackle daily with authentication and identity on the net. You know, it's been a it's a constant recurring theme. You know, we talk about passwords a lot. Um, I've got as I as I said, I hope to have one more shoe to drop or the other shoe or (laughs) something uh, on on the issue soon. Some work that I've been that I've been doing um but we we have this problem that we've discussed we've come at it from various ways we've talked about open id in the past the idea that you have what's called a single sign on where you would authenticate yourself to a, a single location e- and either then you would maintain that persistently and other sites you visited could figure out who you were from that and 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 trust that, or you you when you go to sign on to a site, it bounces you to somewhere else to authenticate, and then you come back having done so. Um, then we've talked about the O Auth, the the Open um, Auth project, where, for example, if you were if you were at Flickr and Flickr said uh, we'd like to to grab your Facebook friends with your permission. What happens is you, you say, yes, let's go do that. And so you're bounced over to Facebook where you log in with Facebook. If you're not already logged in persistently, you give Facebook essentially permission to provide that information to Flickr and then you're bounced back. Uh, we did a podcast about that. That's the how the open auth technology works. And there's the, the, the crypto going on in the background is is – Flickr representing what it wants to Facebook, Facebook showing you what it is that it's going to give and making all that kind of transaction uh, secure. Um, then there's like a number of other technologies. There's something called SAML, S-A-M-L, which is a security assertion markup language, which is unfortunately the result of massive committees working over a decade um, everybody wanting something slightly different and this thing has just grown to the point that it's something that um uh that i talk about with my yubiki friends because they're very interested in in like you know be, beyond just yubiki uh stina her original concept was s- solving this problem and so she came up with the yubiki sort of as a, oh well here's something you know recognizing it's not the whole answer you know it, it's uh it, it's a multi-factor authentication uh, component of a much bigger problem. So, and, and there's something called UMA, user managed access, which manages sort of uh, like what information will be revealed, what purpose it'll be used for, who will have access to it. I mean, these are these are really big problems, and and so I'm I'm very bullish on one hand that that. Or I, go, I guess hopeful. I'm hopeful that we're going to come up with ways to to make this secure. At the same time, you know, any user who follows along with like the condition of our current desktop has got to wonder how you can do anything securely on an insecure platform which is you know I lay awake last night thinking about this as I was thinking that this is what we were going to be talking about on on the podcast because you you, you can argue that that it's extremely difficult to extend this um uh to extend trust very far into an insecure place. The the TPM, the Trusted Platform Module, which many laptops have, and we're beginning to see it on desktop motherboards, the idea there is that you have a, sort of a secure boot process where you start from a known core of security and you only run authenticated software in sort of a stepwise fashion where you incrementally boot yourself into running in a way that, for example, would prevent a rootkit from being installed in the boot sector of the first track of your hard drive and then allow it to take over and compromise the security from there on out. So lots lots of focus has been given to this um there's something called the liberty alliance which was formed 10 years ago in 2001 initially it had 30 organizations that got together to uh, to attempt to establish open standards guidelines and best practices for this problem i mean we everyone recognizes there's a problem and and the 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 goal is is aggressive i mean the goal would be to for example have something robust enough that we could do voting online and it was you know not compromisable that we would have access to medical records that we would we would be able to to order prescriptions and 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 part of the problem is that you have to be very careful obviously about privacy and information leakage and all of that so the the, the players in this are heavyweights uh, who who understand the problem and have it's taken them a decade and and they still don't have it you know to 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 how to assemble this today this liberty alliance which uh there was a, a, a site projectliberty.org which was a, an active wiki for a while, which is now locked because the it's the 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 group of now 150 organizations has have moved over to something called Kantara, the Kantara Initiative. So it's Kantara K-A-N-T-A-R-A initiative.org. the word Kantara is uh, Swahili for bridge. Um and so that's now where this work is. And and finally, um, the the current U.S. executive, um, the office of the president, has has stated that said that the U.S. government is is going to start looking at at how to move this forward, how to create an initiative. Um, so, the the National Institute of Standards and Technology, the NIST. Has released just a couple months ago. I've, I've been watching this for a long time, but in April, uh, the the document was finalized, called the NSTIC, which is the National Strategy for Trusted Identities in Cyberspace. Um, and I'll just read from their little opener. It says this strategy has a goal to foster a private public partnership where industry and communities come together to solve the issues identified in the NSTIC to create an identity ecosystem which enables web service interactions to be, then we have a number of bullets, faster. Once you use your credential to start an online session, you would not need to use separate usernames and passwords for each website. For example, your computer or cell phone could offer your trusted ID and that's in quotes because we're like, we're not sure what that is yet. But so, so, you know, so this is goals and outlines to each new site where you want to use the credential. The system would work much like your ATM card works now. By having the card and a PIN, you can use your ATM card all over the world. By having a credential and a password, you would be able to use your trusted ID at many different sites. This saves you time while enhancing security. No more searching in your drawer for your list of passwords. Then they say – they go on saying it would be more convenient. Businesses and government will be able to put services online that have to be conducted in person today like transferring auto titles or signing mortgage documents. So you know, they're being aggressive about – You know the the level of security, and I, you know, and believe me, I'm being skeptical here. I'm not suggesting this. You know, we know how to do this today, and I would, I wonder whether we even can today, on with with, with the platforms that we have. Um, But you know, but I want to give everyone a sense for 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 like the big vision. Safer, your trusted your trust credential will foil most commonly used attacks from hackers and criminals protecting you against theft and fraud, safeguarding your personal information from cyber criminals. Private. This new, in quotes, identity ecosystem protects your privacy. Credentials share not only the amount of personal information, not only, I'm sorry, credentials share only the amount of personal information necessary for the transaction. You control what personal information is released and can ensure that your data is not centralized among service providers so there there i I noticed throughout this there's been a lot of attention paid to you know thwarting information aggregation and then there's a constant notion of of only providing what's necessary i mean there there really isn't in this a a you know this is going to be a way for us to spy on you um Background there there really is an anti big brother sort of um, you know clear design to, to the system. and voluntary. The identity ecosystem is voluntary. You'll still be able to surf the web, write a blog, participate in online discussions, and post comments to a wiki anonymously or pseudo You could choose when to use your trusted ID. Or not. When you want stronger identity protection, you use your credential, enabling higher levels of trust and security. So, so that's sort of their their overall sort of broad stroke. Um, the idea being that 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 people would would be able to use the system. They the the this N S T I C is is meant is sort of a is a document that's been put together um the the uh the existing alliance are sort of working with the government making sure that that their that their their targets are aligned Um, And, for example, this says, The strategy does not advocate for the establishment of a national identification card or system, nor does the strategy seek to circumscribe the ability of individuals to communicate anonymously or pseudonymously, which is vital to protect free speech and freedom of association. Instead, the strategy seeks to provide to individuals and organizations the option of interoperable and higher assurance credentials to supplement existing options like anonymity or pseudonymity. So, and it gives a couple examples, for example, of of how this might work. Um, they, 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 They paint the picture of Antonio, age 13, who wants to enter an online chat room that is specifically for adolescents between the ages of 12 and 17. His parents give him permission to get a digital credential from his school. His school also acts as an attribute provider. That is, it validates that he's between the age of 12 and 17 without actually revealing his name, birth date, or other information about him. The credential employs privacy enhancing technology. And we have the ability to do this, to validate Antonio's age without informing the school that he is using the credential. So and, uh, Antonio can then speak anonymously, but with confidence that he and the other participants are between the ages of 12 and 17. So that, that's sort of an example of, you know, of the powerful benefit that, that a system like this could potentially offer um, if we had a way of putting it together. Um, the, this document explains that the offline world, which of course we're all familiar with, has structural barriers that preserve individual privacy by limiting information collection, use and disclosure to specific contexts. You know, we are able to control who, what we tell who to. For example, consider a driver's license. An individual can use a driver's license to open a bank account, board an airplane, or view an age-restricted movie at the cinema. But the Department of Motor Vehicles, who issued the driver's license, has no knowledge of every place that accepts driver's licenses as identification. It is also difficult for the bank, the airport, and the movie theater to collaborate and link the transactions together. At the same time, There are aspects of these online transactions that are not privacy protective. The movie theater attendant who checks an individual's driver's license needs to know only that the individual is over age 17. But looking at the driver's license reveals extraneous information such as the individual's address and full date of birth. So there's – they have this – another acronym, uh, the Fair Information Privacy I'm sorry. Fair Information Practice Principles (FIPPs) um, are the is a, is an existing widely accepted framework for evaluating and mitigating privacy impacts. And there are there are eight principles in these uh, this Fair Information uh, Practice Principles are transparency, individual participation. Purpose specification, data minimization, use limitation, data quality uh, and integrity, security and accountability and auditing. So, so that's a, that sort of gives you a, a, a sense for, for how this would be used. Um, they, they have another example. Someone they call P- uh, Parvati uses a credential issued by a third party and bound to her existing cell phone to access online government tax services. She can log in with the click of a button. She no longer has to remember the complicated password she previously had to use. She views her tax history, changes her demographic information, files her taxes electronically, and monitors her refund status. So so the so the idea is that what the government is doing with this whole NT, NSTIC is they're basically they're sort of putting their imprimatur on the on on the work that has been done for the past decade pulling these technologies together they're 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 going to propose this system um one can imagine that they will use it themselves and by virtue of their Purchasing power and contracting power we, we've seen many instances where they've done similar things where they for example required uh you know uh, uh, certain security uh, safeguards be put in place for the 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 contractors that they're using and the and the contractor subcontractors so you can imagine that as this comes together the 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 government will say you know we're going to require that that what you do be NTSIC compliant. That I mean, and the government is, does not want to get into the business of providing this. There will be private sector companies, you know, very much like like Verisign with, with, with their VIP approach, which, which we talked about extensively as a nice third party. Um, Provider of of multi-factor authentication, Um, or like Yubico that provides the YubiKey and uh, and then uh, has an open specification that allows anyone who wants to to provide authentication using that hardware token. Uh, And of course, we've got unfortunately the example of uh, in recent memory of RSA with the fiasco of what happens when you have a, a a widespread highly used token and this data gets away from you. So so I mean so there, there with anything like this, obviously there are there are liabilities that that, that come with this um, with this centralization of, of information and power, yet we do have the technology when we like work out all the details for for making, you know, many new sorts of services Possible, which which I think is clearly where we're headed in the future. Cool. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, that's fine. I got nothing to say. Yeah. Um, uh, this this is, work this is, is great. This work is going on. It's um, it it is happening. I think the U.S. government will end up um, requiring. This kind of authentication and use by its contractors they will have to go buy it from somewhere that will create a market um that, I, I mean i i i'm there, there's so much attention that has been put in this that about user side privacy that i mean recognizing that this is not an any i mean this is not from the government this is not mandated uh, this, this is not <laughs> mandatory or mandated um it is it is it would be a you know available from the commercial sector um the government's involvement i think w- would help to keep it from being fragmented you know we've talked about how we don't want to have a a necklace of individual authentication things so we'd like to be able to have our our um our credentials be portable, be widely accepted. Um, you know, we might. There's nothing to prevent a user from getting mul- multiple credentials. Although the technology does allow a user to specify what information is is given to whom with this notion of attribute providers. And that's one thing we've never talked about before. That that's like another entity standing back, which is able to to essentially provide. Attributes like we were talking about um, this, this 13-year-old whose, whose school was able to assert his age, and so so they were part of this ecosystem. Their assertion was digitally signed, and so the assertion existed separate from the school, so that the assertion could be validated and verified, and the verifier could be checked and 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 so its level of authentication could be could be assured and then that way somebody was uh, uh, was able to take this this um attribute and um and and know that it is that, that there's that there's an entity standing behind it with with some standing so i mean we've we've talked extensively about digital certificates and how for example um owners of websites get a digital certificate they assert their identity to a certificate authority who then signs that assertion and it's that assertion essentially that our browser receives and then our browser checks to see whether it believes the signer of the assertion so this is sort of an extension of this existing public key infrastructure that is it's it, it takes this concept that we are able now to produce tamper proof documents tamper proof things. We can granularize them to being attributes which people have and you so there could be a like an attribute repository and a company whose job is to to provide um, subsets of those attributes so that you provide. Your pharmacy with the ability to to know exactly the following things about you. The the pharmacy then makes a request to this attribute provider. Um, you have told the attribute provider what to provide, or you've you have signed your permission to the pharmacy the pharmacy then forwards that permission to the attribute provider that then is able to take from its large collection select those attributes that that you have you have you have given the pharmacy permission to have and then it signs those sends them back to the pharmacy the pharmacy gets them from a signed provider and it's only able to get what you Allowed the pharmacy to get because it was your permission that that allowed the release of that information and and potentially complex as that sounds, all of it happens in the background that is users are i mean this is sort of like you know next generation um, uh, cyberspace technology that that begins to get control of our information in, and allow us to manage our information in a in a, in a responsible way and ultimately transparently. So there's all this nonsense of having to create separate identities for every website that we go to ultimately goes away. And and we, so we end up being able to authenticate um, much less frequently. That authentication is spread across virtually all of the Internet, and we're able then to control from, from providers of... Of, who Who know different things about us that 's able to be aggregated under our control and we 're able to then control the dissemination of that in a way that other third parties
0: are able to trust um, it 's a big deal and we 're we 're really heading towards it It sounds like this replaces or maybe not replaces, but it does it replace the digital signatures technology using certificates or a PGP, that kind of thing? Well, it absolutely uses it. I, it's I would complimentary. Say u-
1: ultimately, it will replace them. That okay. is, you know, the, the we have all these fragmented things. We have, a, right. a, as, as you say, you know, like personal digital certificates for, you know, signed to to like in, encrypt and or sign your email. We've got open ID. We've got open auth. So, so we have we have authentication. We have information provision. We've got all this stuff has sort of been been um created ad hoc and not pulled together the what we would ultimately have in the same way that there's just a single ssl certificate infrastructure you know there aren't 5 of those there's just one in and 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 in in the same way there would be the answer for Personal ident- uh, personal identities. We would have control of it. You could have multiple identities if you wanted to. You you could be anonymous or use a pseudonym. That's fine. You know, create one. Yeah, Although well,
0: yeah, that's kind of problematic, though, because then you don't have to have an identity. Or is it your pseudonym tied to your identity?
1: Well, but no, 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 no. Um, you know the d m v is not going to sign right. Right. your <laughs> yeah. your pseudonym right. they 're only going to sign you and, and so so it would be so so part of the you know part of all this information is a chain of trust and and w- at each step of that chain and this is why this saml the, the security markup language is' su- it's such a big deal um astina uh, was telling me that no, no organization could even write this. I mean, like write the code. They're they're working now on, um, on, uh, reference implementations. But all anyone will ever be able to do is just take it and use it because it is so big. It is so complex, and you know, to do this, it to to, to have the flexibility that we need, yet the power that we need. There's just no way to do this simple. It's because you know, you do something simple and someone says, Well, what about that? It's like, oh yeah, well we don't do that. Well, okay, if you don't do that, we can't use it. <laughs> and so unfortunately, this is like the kitchen sink to the power of a hundred, and it's a it's a, you know, committee produced monstrosity, but it's standing up over time it's now been about since since 07 that it got sta- it got sort of stabilized and finalized and people are poking at it and it's looking like it's holding together so you know the good news is that it'll all be done for us it'll be behind the scenes nobody'll be involved with it but but the but it it absolutely it it takes adva- it leverages this concept that we've discussed of this notion of it is possible to create tamper proof tokens tamper proof documents there are you know we, we're able to sign things and, and, and encrypt them and assert that this hasn't been changed all of that technology we've been talking about for the last five and a half years that all is in place so now what they're doing is they're they're saying okay let's extend this i mean you know let's talk about how we how we pull it all together and then begin using it and what's interesting to me is that we're beginning to emerge from pure theory mode into okay, you know, here's the kind of ways this would get used. This is, you know, what what it would mean for us. And um the the, the challenge of course is that it not get hacked. That that you know, I, I mean and I immediately think of like, okay, if I if I have a token that I plug in to my computer, you know, the, 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 this, the, um, NSTIC document talks about smart cards. It's like, well, okay, you know, my current machine doesn't have a smart card reader, but it's got USB ports coming out of its ears. So maybe it's, you know, like a YubiKey kind of thing that I put into a, 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 um, a USB port in order to provide authentication. The problem is that, that that's not secure because the moment the data is sort of like unenveloped. The moment the data is available, malware in our computer would have access to it. So, so that's where for example in 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 the Yubico case, remember we talked about their cool device which is a complete authentication computer in out in the token, out in the USB. Well, t- for this sort of thing to work in an in an identity ecosystem fashion, it itself that is this token would have to be smart enough to establish a secure encrypted connection with the the other endpoint that is you can't have the token provide information to the computer because it could be compromised I mean we, we, unfortunately, our current PC platforms, and by that I mean you know personal computers Macs and Linux machines and everything I mean they 're just so so insecure that the the only thing they can really be trusted to do is be a conduit in some fashion. So I mean so I, I mean I really see don't don't for a second think I don't see major challenges to to implementing this in a secure fashion. Yet I think you have to have the dream before you can begin saying, okay, now we know what we want. How do we go about getting there? Um, and I really do like how comprehensive this dream is and um, how much potential there is for the future? I can imagine twenty years from now this will just be oh yeah you know I mean that just it's just the way we do things. People will have di- digital identities of various sorts. They will have been issued by by various um, issuing authorities. It doesn't have to be a governmental be. authority. Absolutely not. Well, in fact, it probably won't be. The go- the government will be there, but you you could also in in, in the same way that I guess it depends I, who you as, trust. In the same way that I, as GRC, got a a, a an SSL certificate from Verisign by go, jumping through some hoops and proving to them that I am who I say I am, in in the same way, there will there will certainly well or you're able to purchase anonymous tokens from Verisign, you know the football or the credit card and so forth, or just download them onto your smartphone to 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 provide you with a um an, an anonymous yet repeatable Uh, Factor for login. We'll have all of that, too. But but where they're really heading is to this thing being vastly more comprehensive. I I don't think more onerous. I I really think just more comprehensive. We have the technology to do this today, it's just a matter of getting everybody together, agreeing on standards, and then begin to, beginning to deploy it. And we, there is a chicken and egg problem, and that's where I think that the government can probably come in by saying, we like this, we're going to require everyone we deal with to use it, and, and that'll that'll tend to get it going. But otherwise, I don't see the government at all being too heavy-handed in this.
0: Yeah, I, I know some people. The idea of the, a government doing this makes them nervous. To me, it actually seems sensible because you need a centralized third party to certify it. Yes. Um, uh, and I know people, a lot of people who listen to this show don't trust our government, and we probably shouldn't trust government. But who better? I mean, you want Microsoft to do this? Uh, they have been, by the way, uh, to, with little success. So I think it needs to be that. And then, and then I, I think this is a nice. You liken it to certificates, and I think that's a good—you know—the uh, the web certificate system. I think that's a good analogy. I think it makes sense to have third parties that are certified and that kind of thing. I'm excited. Well, and, I, we needed this. I've been yes. signing my email for years to no avail. It's all been the uh, web of trust technique. Yes, and I mean, and this this document establishes
1: the right principles. I mean, and I've read the whole thing. Everything about it as i 'm reading you know and i'm i 'm skeptical of big brother too I'm, i i don 't know how we 're going to do it i mean as as you know as a coder and technologist, I think about all of the of the hurdles and the pitfalls and the and the challenges we face but it's it 's clear that we need that we need this in order to move forward and and to really leverage cyberspace uh,
0: to the full extent possible i mean that we have the yes. technology, yes. Uh, identity is critical. We've, we've we've learned that lesson. Yeah. Uh and an anonymity while you I think this is nicely done because you can have anonymity. Yes. But but there's also a way to certify you are who you say you are. And I think you need both. So I think this yes. is good. This sounds I'm excited. Yeah, and, me uh, too. And I appreciate your giving it the once over.
1: Well, so I wanted to sort of bring our listeners up to where we are in this, because, and I'm sure you know, we'll be pinging back on this from time to time as things happen. You know, there it is a there's 150 international organizations involved, a bunch in the U.S., but a bunch uh, you know outside the U.S. So the, the the goal would be that this would be one single global. Technology, and again, I liken it very much to SSL certificates. We know how that whole infrastructure works. This is that to the power of 100 because it's far more than just saying, oh, this site is who it says it is. It's, you know, gran- granular information and assertions of fact about individuals. And I forgot to say, also devices. Uh, this is also ma- made very clear, for example, that network adapters might have. Um, assertable identities and be uniquely identifiable so you could establish a connection between two endpoints where those are network adapters on the internet and they're able to establish an absolutely provable and authenticatable connection from endpoint to endpoint so the, the, the 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 as you think about this more this enables things we cannot do today and I think that's very exciting, too, because it creates huge
0: new opportunities. Very exciting. So what's the next step? Ha- what happens next for this to fly? I mean, do people have to, third parties have to create systems and so forth? or?
1: Um, we're beginning to see companies who are stepping up. Um, the The website that I referred to um not not the liberty org the the uh cantara initiative if anyone 's interested the cantara that 's the state of the art in this that i mean essentially the and you 'll see the the N the um n t. s i and i keep getting that acronym wrong n s t i c um stuff is participating in the Cantara initiative, which is much bigger than the federal government. I mean the government is just sort of saying, we like this. This is what we hope it's going to be, and this is what we want it to be so that we're able to you know, give it our stamp of approval. Um, but there are – there are beginning to be companies that are offering these kinds of services Um, And so this Kantara initiative is what to keep an eye on uh, moving forward, and I'm going to do so.
0: Yeah. I mean, I would very much like to, for instance, replace my – I'm trying to remember who I got them from, Thought or somebody – my email certificates with a a new form of digital identity that's universal. Um, So KantaraInitiative.org. But are they offering – Well, no, see, no, 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 no. no.
1: It's just the organization, sort of the the organizing point. Yeah, we're still premature. I mean, it's it's going to take probably the major providers like Apple and and Microsoft. It's got to be in the email. It's got to be in the Google and all of this stuff. (laughs) Exactly, and so. Um, for example, I didn't realize that Google is an Open ID provider. Yes. But yes. No, of course they would be, and and so you can you, right now you can use Goog- your Google credential, which is which does allow multi-factor authentication. So you can turn that on, get multi-factor authentication with Google, and then you use Google as your Open ID provider to log into any sites that support Open ID. So as so Open ID will end up getting replaced with something much stronger and more robust. But, you know, and, and then and then Google will be a provider for that, as will other sites. And and this will just sort of – I mean, it. it I remember – and I'm sure you do too, Leo, because we were both there um, – before the internet, when there were people talking about, well, you know, we're going to hook up all of the computers in the world together. Well, first I said, well, you're, first of all, nuts.
0: Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. this internet thing will never fly. <laughs> How are you going to do that?
1: Um and then when it began kind of limping along, but there wasn't anything there, there was the chicken and egg problem. It's like, I mean, we used to hear, oh, this is never going to happen because no one's going to put their stuff on the internet until there's people on the internet to look at the stuff. And there's not going to be people on the internet right. until there's something to look at. Well, it happened. And it, happened. it just good. sort of organically occurred. And and the good news is, I mean, this... this Something this important and big has to be done right. It's why I'm glad it's not a mandate from the government. The government couldn't possibly design this. I mean, this has taken a decade and 150 organizations spread around the world, and they're you know they've kind of think they've got it now. So, and code is being written. It just this is just a big. Berg that moves forward very slowly. But the good news is, I think it's a good Berg. <laughs> and
0: we're not the Titanic. <laughs> Let's hope, anyway. uh No, it's very exciting. And I think we did need this. And uh, I've been waiting for this. And, uh, you know, I mean, I've been a believer all along as I used OpenPGP or GNU uh, Privacy Guard to sign my mail. And that confused people because it would put a little. Bunch of it would put a hash at the bottom of the mail, and people would say, "What's that?" Now I, now I use certificates to sign it because most email programs support that, but that confuses people. they say, "What's this p7s mime attachment well and, and, and another example is the way
1: we got the extended validation certificates. No users had to do anything, right but now their but bar lights light. up green yep, yep, yep. If, if there's like higher level of assertion, that'll just it'll end up getting built in to our world. And
0: everyone's going to take it for granted, but it's going to be good. Steve Gibson is the man in charge at the GRC Corporation, GRC.com. In fact, if you go there, you can get a copy of Spinrite, the world's finest hard drive maintenance and recovery utility. Saving hard drives even in the midst of disaster. GRC.com. Yeah. If you have a question for next week about this or any other topic, GRC.com slash feedback. And you can also um, find a lot of freebies there. Information about his password, Haystacks, for instance, which is really a good thing for people to know. I've been using it religiously ever since, and I'm so grateful to you for that. Uh, m- new stuff coming too. GRC.com. You could follow the Steve on the Twitter. <laughs> Somebody sent me an email saying, why do you keep calling at the twitter you're so old you should stop doing a show <laughs> it's a joke you'll follow yeah. the steve on the twitter at s g g r c is his twitter handle uh and that's a good place to ask questions too as you can see includes that in his stuff and you'll find all the shows 700 what is it in 700, <laughs> 700 not quite 307 Slow down, uh, episodes. Man, we'll get there <laughs> we will, we'll, we'll get there, soon, we'll later. Get there. Uh, 307 episodes uh, available in transcription 16 kilobit and 64 kilobits so you get your choice there uh, all at GRC.com. Steve, thank you so much for being here. My pleasure, Leo, always, and we'll do a Q&A next week. Next and week. And then hopefully I'll have something really cool, maybe in two weeks. I'm going to try to get it done in two weeks. That'd be neat. We do this show every Wednesday, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, 1800 UTC at live.twit.tv. And we invite you to watch live or download it after the fact. Uh, you can also get it at twit.tv slash SN. Thanks, Steve. We'll see you next week. All on. Security now.